Thank you for tuning in today at Propel Church. Whether you're watching through YouTube or listening through a podcast, we want to say thank you. Our hope at Propel is that you would be propelled into an authentic relationship with Jesus. From wherever you are tuning in, we hope that you are encouraged and inspired by this week's message. Man, I am, uh, well, as Noah said, I'm so pumped, and uh, I'm just excited to be back with you. If you're not familiar uh, with, with why pastors take some time off, uh, I'll tell you, one of the biggest reasons why I take time off is because I love you a lot, right. but I love Jesus more. Amen. And when we're in ministry, and even in our own lives, we can never let what we do in public outpace what we have going on in private. That's and right. so I took some time to spend some time away with Jesus, and I've got some friends passing out note cards to you. They're going to be important for you in just a little bit. But um, man, one of the things that's also really exciting today is that uh, on August 1st of 2011, I gave my life to Jesus. And so come on. It's been 10 years. It's been a fun. You ever, you ever gone through a decade and, and you know you got more gray hairs because of it, right? Like, I mean, it's it's been one of those, but um, man, it's been so rewarding, and so uh, I'm excited to be back and have the opportunity to teach on a big day like this, because we're getting ready to kick off 21 days of prayer starting tomorrow, and we're kicking off this brand new series called Don't Quit the Dip. Now, if you're a country folk, you probably should quit the dip, but this is a whole different... <laughs> we ain't talking about Copenhagen today, right? Come on, we, we're going to talk about the parts of our life where... We go through a low spot. If you've ever been in a dip, we call those valleys. If you've ever gone through some hardships, you know that you feel like quitting pretty consistently. And so my goal for this series is actually to walk you through some of the the parts of the book of Nehemiah that we would understand what it looks like to not quit, to not give up, but to keep moving forward into all that God has for us. And I believe that one of the greatest things we can do when we find ourselves in a dip is to begin to pray, is to not look at prayer as something that is just something we do on occasion or something we do on Sundays, but that prayer would become a part of our everyday life. And so if you have a Bible, go with me to the book of Nehemiah. We're going to begin today in chapter one, but this is what it says. It says that these are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakala. If you don't know how to say it, you, you know, and then you're good. In the late autumn in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Xerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hananiah, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. And I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. And they said to me, they ain't going so hot. Things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem have been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. At the very beginning of this passage of scripture in the book of Nehemiah, we find that the gates and the walls of Jerusalem have been destroyed And for some people, that's not that big of a deal. But for Nehemiah, it's a really big deal because his city has been left in ruins. These were his people. And when a city is left in ruins, it 
breaks your heart, when your people are struggling, when the people in your community are, are having a tough time, it impacts you in a really big way. What Nehemiah shows us is really what it looks like to be burdened by the brokenness of a community. And I think Nehemiah's burdened by it because A, these are his people, this is his community, but also when the walls are torn down, a group of people are exposed and left vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. And not only are people exposed and open to the attacks of the enemy, but because the walls were torn down, the scripture says that they lived in disgrace. And I wonder if what Nehemiah is trying to do for you and I is to get us burdened by the brokenness that exists within our own community. Because here's the reality, church. The walls of our community have been torn down. There are people living every day susceptible to the attacks of the enemy and are stuck in guilt and shame. The brokenness of this area was one of the reasons why Tori and I came here almost six years ago to plant a church here in Mount Pleasant. And that brokenness has developed over the years, but we're still burdened by it today. Just to give you some of the statistics that are there, on average, 53% of the people in Cabarrus County aren't plugged into a church. And come on, this is the Bible Belt, right? Like, you think 53%, that's, that's, that's almost, that's over half. Right. Half of the people in our county aren't plugged into a church. Now, those are stats pre-COVID. Post-COVID, it's significantly worse. Because right. we got out of rhythm. Yeah. So not only are 53% of those not plugged into a church, but I would say of the, math, 47, 40, come on. <laughs> Of the 47% of people who are plugged into a church, I would venture to guess that only about 10% of those are plugged into a healthy, life-giving church. A church that is not declining but thriving. A church that teaches God's word with passion and doesn't change it to fit whatever agenda we have going on that day. And so not only do we have brokenness, but we've got brokenness within the church because the church is made up of imperfect people. That's one of those stats. Another stat is that on average, 20 drug overdose calls are made within a 12-hour time span in our county. Wow. Some of those numbers are skewed a little bit because of the amount of Narcan that's used now, which, let me, hear me say this, Narcan's incredible. The fact that you have the opportunity to bring something that's dead back to life is amazing. But if we don't do something with people once they get brought back to life, we're going to get those same calls over and over and over again. Because you can fix a physical problem, but if you don't deal with the spiritual problem that exists, the physical problem never gets remedied. That's right. Divorce rates live at about 50%. We see people continue to be stuck in depression and anxiety. Those stats are through the roof. Suicidal thoughts are through the roof. And what we see oftentimes is that people live on the edge ready to fight. I was going through Lowe's the other week and uh, I dropped something and there was a dude ready to fight me. And I was like, man, it ain't that big of a deal. Matt, you know people like that. We just live on edge 24 7. We've got so many people that don't want anything to do with God, and it's normally not because God has done anything. It's because his people have given them a bad taste in their mouth of what God is actually like. Right. And so we have all of these things going on, and there's all of this brokenness, and this is what burdens my heart, that there, we live in a, a town, a, a county, and even a country that is broken. Yeah. The reality is you don't even have to love Jesus or know Jesus to know that our world's not getting much better. 
and it's getting worse. But I didn't come today to talk to you about how terrible the world is. Sometimes you hear messages like that. The world is horrible. Just get ready for heaven. I don't think that's God's message for you and I today. Now, I do think you should get ready for heaven, but here's what I believe. Talking about a problem doesn't do anything. You got to be involved in the solution. So I came to encourage you. I came to stir up your faith and get you ready for what's next. When we realize the brokenness that we have in our community, Nehemiah gives us the response that we ought to have. So this is what it says in verse number four. When I heard this, so when he heard about the brokenness of the area, I sat down and I wept. Now it doesn't stop there. That would be bad, right? You know some people like that though. They, they hear about brokenness or they see brokenness, but all they do is sit and cry. And that's not beneficial. What does he do next? In fact, for days I mourned, I fasted, and I prayed to the God of heaven. In other words, I didn't just sit by and complain about it. I didn't just sit by and try and come up with a plan for what to do. I tagged God in. I got God involved in it because I realized that the brokenness I see is going to be bigger than just me to fix. And I'm going to be honest with you. If you can fix the brokenness you see by yourself, you probably don't have a God-sized vision for fixing brokenness. For the brokenness in our community to get fixed, for the brokenness in our world to be mended, we need God involved. So he prays and he fasts. To the God of heaven. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Prayer is not our last resort. It's our first response. How many times have you been in a situation where somebody says, well, I guess all we can do is pray. No, 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 no. Make no mistake. Prayer is not a powerless last resort for us to go to. It is our first response because what we realize is the greatest thing that we can do is tag God in to whatever battle we're going through. It's our first response because we realize that what we need more than anything is God to be in the middle of our circumstance and situation. Prayer is not something that we just come to on the back end of everything or to close our prayer or it's not just something that we do over meals. Prayer is where we commune with God because we have access to him thanks to Jesus. And because of that, we go to him in those moments of the dip. When you're in the dip, let me just encourage you, one of the greatest things you can do is not to just sit there and sulk in whatever you've got going on, but to turn to God immediately. There's not just going to be brokenness that you become aware of in the community. You're going to go through junk in your life. And what you turn to first communicates what you put your hope in. Here's what I know. If somebody gets injured, I joke with people all the time. If you get injured, I'm not the guy you want around, right? And it's not because you would think like, oh man, maybe he gets queasy. No, I have this like uncontrollable laughter thing that happens when people get hurt. I really like it. it but, but here's what I know. If something happens, I've got two like, for, if something medically happens, I got two calls. The first one's to my mother-in-law, right? Because she's a nurse. And I'm like, nurse Amy, I need your help. But the second is probably to 911 because I trust that whoever's on the other end of that call is going to be able to help. God needs to be our first response. He needs to be the place that we turn to immediately because he really is what we put our hope and trust in. So when Nehemiah hears about the broken condition of the world, even though he's mourning, 
he turns to God. And even though he's at a low point, he turns to him to trust him to realize that God is able to do something. And I'm not telling you this, that prayer is our first response because I've figured this whole prayer thing out. Let me be clear. I'm trying to live this out in every day of my life. A few weeks ago, um, I was going right before I left town, I realized that man, I just haven't been on top of prayer. And you can fight a lot of battles in the physical, but if you don't win the war in the spiritual, then the stuff in the physical just doesn't happen. So I've been, been, if you were with us in February, you knew that I got this cough. And you knew I had this cough because it was still there in March, and it was still there in April, and it was still there in May. I had this cough. I, I went to multiple doctors. They couldn't figure out what was going on. So I had this cough. I was getting COVID tested so many times, I think I got new pathways to my brain. You know what? <laughs> I'm just... You met some of them COVID testing people, they real nice and they real gentle. And the other ones, man, they trying to touch heaven. <laughs> so I went to multiple doctors. They couldn't figure out. I went on multiple steroids to try and kill this cough. They tried pneumonia medication. They x-rayed my lungs. Then I went to another doctor and they couldn't figure out what was going on. They thought it was something uh, with my vocal cords. And they said, hey, we, we, from what we can see, it's inflamed back there. We think you've damaged your vocal cords. Now, I'm a young pastor. Um, I kind of talk for a living. <laughs> so, so, so to hear that I might have damaged my vocal cords at this stage in my life was really, really alarming. But then they did some medication, they did some tests, they said, like, ah, we don't think that's what's wrong with you. We can't figure it out. We can't figure it out. We can't figure it out. Not only that, this year with the steroids, I had some negative side effects. And the day before Easter, I tore my planter's fascia and I had all these issues going on with my feet. And come on, I love pork. Had me a good old gout flare up. I mean, I just had, I had issue after issue after issue. And I get ready to go away on vacation and uh, get, get ready to go away on sabbatical. And I just... I took some time and I said, you know what? Let me text seven guys in our church and I'm going to have them pray. Like I've been trying everything. I've been trying every doctor on the planet, every home remedy I could. And I text seven guys and I said, hey, this is what I've got going on. But this is what I need prayer for. I need prayer for God to heal my feet. I need God to remove this cough from my body. And I wasn't three days into my trip in Wyoming when I was completely healed. That's the power of prayer. That's what God can do. And I'm standing here today, and this is probably one of the first messages you've heard since February where I ain't coughing the whole time. So come on. It's because God not only hears prayers, but when you call out and it's your first response, he responds. So then let's look at what Nehemiah's prayer looks like, because I think it's really important for us. So it says this, then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, he's giving God compliments. Make no mistake, God does not need your pat on the back. <laughs> He's not impressed because you tell him how great he is. When we pray and we talk about how awesome God is, it's because we need the reminder, yes. not because he needs affirmation. Wow. Awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. I confess... That we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. 
If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for you, for my name to be honored. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. And in those days, I was the king's cupbearer. I think there are three really good things we can pull out of that prayer for you and I to learn a little bit more about prayer and hopefully take some next steps today. The first one is this. That prayer reminds us of God's faithfulness and acknowledges our shortcomings. So at the beginning of this prayer that Nehemiah prays in Nehemiah chapter 1, he's coming to God and he's honoring him. He's saying, God, you are great and you are awesome. He is acknowledging the faithfulness of God. Not only does he do that, but he brings up the fact that God has made some covenantal promises to these people, that if, if they leave, then he'll scatter them, but if they come back, he'll do something. Every time we go into prayer, there's an opportunity to acknowledge the faithfulness of God. Yeah. But when we acknowledge God's faithfulness, it's also the opportunity for us to own our unfaithfulness. To own the fact that, yes, God, you are great and you are awesome. And I'm not saying have a pity party in your prayers. What I'm saying is you could say, hey, Lord, I've messed up. And I think your level of intimacy with God is directly correlated to your willingness to be honest with God. So you can pray general prayers. You can say, God, I've messed up. But if you own your sin and you call it by name, you can't get healed from what you won't reveal. And the the truth is, God already knows what you got going on. He knows 100% of the things you've done in your past, your present, and your future. So you can get real honest with him. But acknowledge your shortcomings and thank God for the fact that he is faithful. I would encourage you when you pray, too, to keep a prayer journal, to write some things down. It's one of those spiritual disciplines that I think can really help you. First of all, because you probably got more prayer requests than you can remember. And you've probably told some people you were going to pray for something and you never did. That's called lying, right? now. <laughs> we're working on that. How many times somebody tell you something they got going on, you're like, man, I will pray for you. And then you leave and you're like, what's for lunch today? You know, <laughs> we miss it. Sometimes we... We just forget. So if you keep a journal, you have the ability. I've got, I've got 43 pastors that live on this prayer list that I just come to before the Lord. And I say, Lord, <laughs> they definitely need you, right? They got some stuff going on. And I ask them how I can pray for them and things like that. But you need, you need to keep a journal. And one of the reasons why you need to keep a journal is because sometimes it's hard for us to remember what God's done in the past, So when I'm praying for something specifically, I write down when he answers it. And what we see in the Old Testament is what they would do is they would go on this journey and they would set up these monuments of stones. And every now and then they would look back and the kids would ask, what are these stones for? And it was a reminder that the God who carried us from there to here 
is able to carry us even further. That's what acknowledging God's faithfulness does. It reminds us that he covered us in the past and he is able to do it again. Second thing I have for you is this, is that prayer gives us divine strategy. Divine strategy. Oftentimes what happens when we first encounter something that's difficult or we go through a struggle is we try and plan our way to peace. The issue is peace only comes from one source. It only comes from God. So what prayer gives us the ability to do is align ourselves into the plan that God has already established. Because God knows the end from the beginning. So why would I spend all of my time trying to create and figure out a solution when I could spend time praying and seeking after God, knowing that he's going to give me the answer I need to keep moving forward? What we see in Nehemiah chapter 2 is that Nehemiah has developed an incredible plan for the rebuilding of an entire city. But chapter 2 plans don't come without chapter 1 prayers. In order for us to get the divine strategies that we need, we need to seek after God and pray. So in hardships and difficult times, what we need to do is seek after the face of of God, not try and plan our way into not needing God to step in on our behalf. We live in a world that doesn't need any more man-made plans. We need divine intervention. We need divine strategy. We need to seek after God and figure out what he wants us to do in every situation because when we do that, we are aligning ourselves to the plans that he has already established. If you and I have ever talked before, uh, one of the things that uh, I hear from people from time to time is, well, I just don't know what to do. I've got all these things going on in my life. I just don't know what to do. And the first question I'll ask you is, well, have you talked to God about it? Because let me tell you, he wants to talk to you. But sometimes we have a better relationship with our pastor than we do God. And we go to other people before we go to God. It's the source you, can't have, you can have a relationship. We can have a relationship with, with each other. But let me be clear. I don't get you into heaven. <laughs> I'm not that great. <laughs> Only Jesus does that. You need a relationship with God where you can commune with him and talk to him about what's going on in your life and in your world. Divine strategy. I, for me, I love strategy. I love divine wisdom because it gives me the opportunity to think and discover things that I never thought were possible. I've shared multiple stories with this facility and some divine strategy that the Lord has given us over the course of the last couple of years. But there was a time, uh, literally about this time last year, uh, we were sitting there and uh, we had just gotten the quote back from the electrical company and the HVAC company. Everybody was finally like ready to work. At the beginning of COVID, didn't nobody want to do anything. Now, we were all ready. The problem was uh, we had a budget and we were significantly over budget because that's how construction projects work. <laughs> and, uh, but we got to the point where we were getting ready to do the electrical um, and we needed a new power line to come in from Duke. And as we were looking at it, they kindly let me know that all of the labor costs that were going to come from Duke were not included in the price that they had given us. And so I said, okay, well, ballpark, like, what do you think? And he said, shouldn't be more than an extra 20 or 30 grand. Now, I was like, oh, 
oh, my heart, you know. <laughs> so I, I said, okay. And uh, I got off the phone and I sat at my desk. I said, Lord, I know you've provided, but you ain't sent me an extra 20 or 30 grand. In fact, I don't feel like I can ask for more money. So I need you to tell me what to do. And I felt like the Lord said, go read Duke's policy book. I said, Lord, that's not the Lord. That's the devil. <laughs> if you know, I read a lot, but I don't like the, the like heavy detail, heavy oriented. This book was 78 pages long. I sat at my desk. And I started flipping through it. I started reading it. And one of the things that was in there, it said we were going to do like 240 power or something, but if we ran a brand new 480 line with the square footage of our facility, Duke would actually cover the entire cost of that project. So I highlighted that, <laughs> scanned it, I sent it in an email and said, is this the case? It was going to be double the power that we were originally going to do, but they were going to pay for it all. And he said, yeah, that's the case. <laughs> and so, but that's what we need. We need divine strategy. And we saved 30 grand. Come on in Jesus' name. So, so I had no desire to read a 68-page book. But I knew I had a need that I couldn't accomplish. So I tagged God in. And he gave wisdom and he gave revelation. Here's the last thing I got for you. Is that prayer gives us favor with people. To find favor means to gain approval, acceptance, or special benefits and blessing. Favor is really important because, as I mentioned earlier, for you to accomplish everything that God has for you to do in your life, you are not going to be able to do it without people. You can't do it without people. God's system involves people. And because of that, what we need is favor. And next week's message is all about favor, so I'm not going to dig too heavy into that. But as we look for favor, we need to really seek after God to give us favor with those people because everything you need to do what God has called you to do is most likely already in the network or sphere of influence that you have. God's positioned you strategically where you are for a reason. And if you can get favor with people, then you're going to see God open doors that you never thought were possible. Nehemiah next week is going to get the king to fund the whole thing. Come on, that's always good. Because he had favor. And so daily and weekly, I pray a prayer of favor over my own life. Because I need God to open doors that I can't open myself. When we were getting ready to start Propel Church, we wanted to meet in Mount Pleasant High School and for those of you who don't know my story, uh, well, I got kicked out of Mount Pleasant High School for drug possession. And so I was like, all right, Lord, this might be a little difficult. So I've sat down with the principal of the high school and said, I feel like, you know, the Lord has led us to start a church in Mount Pleasant and that this is going to be the facility that we utilize. How can we work out this partnership? And at the time, they said no. And I was like, well, that really wasn't in my plan. You know, like, I, I mean, I had, a, I had a plan. It was sit down, have the conversation. We got the green light, and we moved forward. They said no. 
And I said, well, you take some time to think about it. When you're ready, call me. I left. Two days later, the person that had said no uh, retired. And I was like, praise God. (laughs) But here's the problem. The person that took over was also the person that when I was in high school, we butted heads pretty consistently. And not only did we butt heads, like the day I got expelled, they were smiling when they signed that paperwork. You know, you ever, I was like, this is worse. This is not better. And I walked into that office and I was expecting to have to plead my case. And I said, we'd like to use this high school. And they sat across the table and they said, hey, I can see God's done some incredible things in your life. Yeah, whatever you need. It was less than a three-minute conversation. Why? Favor. So daily and weekly, here's what I pray over my own life. Lord, grant me favor with our town's government that they might see you in me. Lord, grant me favor with our church leaders that we might be focused more on mission than personal preference. Lord, give me favor with the lost and unchurched people in our community that they would know that they have a safe place to explore faith. Lord, give me favor with those who you've blessed financially that we might plant churches all across small towns in North Carolina and create a ministry center where we can take care of pastor's souls all around the world. It's prayers of favor where we're asking God to do something and move on our behalf, and it makes such a big difference. Here's the last thing I've got for us, is that prayer gives us fresh anticipation for what's to come. When I read through Nehemiah's prayer, he doesn't know how God is going to do it. He just has anticipation and expectation that he will. God, you're a God who keeps his word. You said if we disobeyed, you'd scatter us. But if we came back, you'd rebuild and restore. And I don't know how you're going to do it. I just know that you're a God who keeps his promises. And I don't know what areas of brokenness you see. I don't know what dip you're in in your life currently. But here's what I do know. If you'll begin to pray with passion, you'll get a fresh anticipation for what's to come. Because what I've learned over the years is that prayer allows my eyesight to become like God's. Prayer lifts my head above whatever situation or circumstance I'm going through and gives me some 30,000 foot view perspective that God is still bigger. The mountain may be big, but he's still bigger. That I may have this big struggle, but I know God is able to do something. And so what we've done for you is we've given you some prayer. We've given you a note card because during 21 days of prayer, we host a prayer gathering every night. I'll give you some information about that in a second. But on that note card, I want you to write down some things that you're praying for. You may have some prayer requests that you want. There may be some people that you don't know Jesus. So right now, take a second and write your prayer requests on those note cards because during this next song, what we're going to give you the opportunity to do is to come lay those down. And every night for the next 21 days when we come in here and we pray, we're going to grab some of those note cards and you're going to have people throughout all of our church praying over those things that you're believing for, praying over those requests that you have. Because we want to stand with you in prayer. 
And when we stand with you in prayer, I think there's power when God's people unite over things. So we pray over those together. So take a second and write your prayer requests on those note cards and I'll give you more instructions on when you can bring those up during the the next song. But then really what I'm asking you to do is to commit for the next 21 days to pray. And you say, well, why would we do 21 days? Well, I'm glad you asked. For 21, 21 is one of those numbers that they say is a habit-forming number. So if you can get in the habit of praying for 21 days, it just kickstarts a healthy rhythm in your life. You say, 21, it sounds like a lot of commitment. I know, but you've committed every day to social media. So like, we can do it, I promise. Commit for 21 days to pray. What does that look like? Here's what it looks like. Here's our prayer gatherings from Monday to Friday, right here in this auditorium. We'll be here from 7 to 8 p.m. And if you say, hey, I don't know how to pray, that's what these prayer gatherings are designed to do. They're designed to teach you how to pray, teach you how to go deeper with the Lord. So it's a very simple format. We come in at seven o'clock, we start, we have uh, one or two songs of worship. There's a person that shares a five minute devotional and there's 30 minutes of individual prayer. During that time of individual prayer, we've got prayer guides that are available that walk you through different prayers and how to pray. All of those resources are on our website at propel.church slash 21 days. But I would just encourage you to make it a priority. 7 to 8 p.m. Monday through Friday and Saturdays we are from 9 to 10 a.m. And then Sundays are our regular worship experiences. But as you and I do that, as we seek after God and we pray for the next 21 days, I believe that he's gonna do some things in our life like we've never seen before. And we're gonna see God move in such a powerful way when we don't treat prayer as a last resort but we treat it as our first response. When Jesus is talking about his church in Matthew 21, 13, he says that my house is a house of prayer. And I believe that's what God's calling us to in this next season, is to just transition from a church that prays to a house of prayer, to believe that God can mend the brokenness that we see. And so during the next song that we're going to sing in just a second, I want you to take those note cards and you can bring them down front. But here's what I also know. When we talk about brokenness, when we talk about separation, for some of us, we we realize that we are that person who's broken. And I want you to know there's really good news. That Jesus came, he lived a sinless life, and he died in your place so that everything the enemy destroyed could be rebuilt so that your sins could be covered and you could experience life abundantly. Maybe you say, I don't have a relationship with God. Well, it starts first by saying yes to Jesus. And so with every head bowed, every eye closed all across the room today, maybe you're here and you'd say, hey, I don't have a relationship with Jesus currently, but I know I need to begin one. If that's you, would you just lift your hand and indicate that? for just a moment. If you're tuning in online, you can drop that in there as well. Here's what we're going to do, church. Nobody prays alone. We all pray together. Will you say this after me? Dear Jesus, today I give you my life. I place my hope and trust in you. 
thank you for dying in my place so that I could have new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for checking out this week's message. If you made any decisions for Jesus or you need a next step or have a prayer request, let us know by going to www.propel.church/hub. That leads you to our digital connect card where you can fill out all of that information as well as see what we have coming up here at Propel. Thank you again for tuning in and we hope to see you again soon.